Hello, good morning again. As we work our way through the December, we are going to continue talking about the different themes of Advent. So two weeks ago, we talked about hope. Last week, we talked about joy. Or sorry, last week, we talked about peace. This week, we're going to talk about joy. And to do that, we're going to read through Lamentations chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it. The words are also going to be on the screen. The specific references are... 19 through 26. So if you want to read these aloud with me, Let's see, they're on the board now. Okay. Remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them and have become depressed. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation from the Lord. Amen. The more I read scripture and the longer that I walk with Jesus, the more I see that sufferers often have secret access to joy. It seems like almost every time the Bible speaks about joy, it's in the midst of suffering and hardship. In fact, if you look down at the passage, it says, Remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them and have become depressed. So why use this passage to speak about joy? I have seen people in the midst of unimaginable circumstance, suffering and hardship, people in the middle of diagnosis, job loss, and suffering. Maybe that's you this morning. But if we continue to look later down in the passage, it says, For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So how is this the writer's response? Why? If we look to God when we're thrown into the thick of suffering, he will lead us to a place of hope, peace, and yes, even joy. Real joy doesn't mean that we're completely happy or put together. It is often tear-stained and weary, calling out to God with whatever strength we can muster. But I know that God builds sanctuaries and wilderness. He turns our deserts into places of delight and rejoicing. He can wake up our dry bones. Instead of being a real threat to joy, he often makes suffering a means to rejoice. So during this time, the world is weary, but much like the song, O Holy Night, when it says, the weary world rejoices, the world can hold on to our coming Savior. Right now, it feels like moments of joy are fleeting and hard to hold on to, but Jesus' birth comes with the promise that we can rejoice even when things feel incredibly dark and heavy. So to close, I'm going to read um, over a summarized portion of the Valley of Vision, so if you'll bow your heads with me. All your ways of mercy tend to end in my delight. You did weep, sorrow, suffer, that I might rejoice. For my joy you had sent the Comforter, multiplied your promises, shown me my future happiness, given me a living fountain. You were preparing joy for me and me for joy. I pray for joy, wait for joy, long for joy, Give me more than I can hold, desire, or think of. If I weep at night, give me joy in the morning. I am unworthy recipient of your grace. 
I often disesteem your blood and slight your love, but can in repentance draw water from the wells of your joyous forgiveness. Let my heart leap towards the eternal Sabbath, where the work of redemption, sanctification, glorification is finished and perfected forever, where you will rejoice over me with joy. There is no joy like the joy of heaven, for in that state there are no sad divisions, unchristian quarrels, contentions, evil designs, weariness, hunger, cold, sadness, sin, suffering, persecutions, toils of duty. O healthful place where none are sick, bring me speedily to the land of joy. Amen. Thanks, Erica. Over the last couple of weeks, you've you've gotten to hear from, I guess it was our first week, you heard from Adam uh, Kuntz, our, our student pastor, this week from Erica, our assistant student pastor. And I can't speak highly enough about what they do uh, with our students here at LCF. Um, and it's, it's been a joy for me to get to hear them share with our whole congregation. Um, if you have students who aren't a part of our student ministry, I can't encourage you enough to connect them with either Adam or Erica um, and then get them connected with our student ministry. It's, it's such a wonderful, wonderful ministry here at LCF. And so, um, Erica, thanks for that. Adam, thanks for kicking us off a couple of weeks ago. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to be. We're going to start in verse 39 and work our way down to verse 56. And if you remember last week, uh, I, I asked the question, what, like, what's the point of a sermon? You remember what the answer to that is? Perfect. Worship. <laughs> Write that down in case I ask again later. The point of a sermon is worship. And so that's where we're headed this morning. Um, and we're going to see that in Mary. But as you kind of get yourself situated, I want to explain a theory that I have. Um, I started crafting this, this theory when I was doing student ministry. And I volunteered to uh, do like after prom at Liberty High School a couple of times. I'd be in a place and the song Don't Stop Believin' would come on, which came out in 1981. Most of the kids that were present were born in like the 90s, like the late 90s. And so this would come on. And you're standing in a room full of people who were not alive yet. And the, the lyrics, just a small town girl, right? And everyone in the room, living in a lonely world. I'm like, how do you even know those words? There's like this collective subconscious, subconscious that exists for us with that song. But also, if you've ever been to a Liberty North basketball game, somewhere in the third quarter, this happens. And... No one actually knows what he says at the beginning of the song. So you kind of work your way through this, and it's just... Da, 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 da. Yeah, that's what, those are what the words are. I can't begin to knowing, that's what it says. But then all of a sudden you arrive at Sweet Caroline, whole gym. Ba, ba, ba. I've never once seen a freshman sitting in that Liberty North student section, look around like, what am I supposed to do right here? It's just like, you're born. You could play that in a nursery at a hospital. A bunch of little infants. Ba, ba, ba. They can't even talk. 
they would know exactly what happens. Or maybe a little more in the holiday spirit. You're sitting around your kitchen table or you're, you're cooking or something like that and you've got Alexa playing Christmas music and you hear this glorious five seconds. And your six-year-old daughter grabs her frozen hairbrush, <laughs> comes sliding into the kitchen. Ah, and you're like, how do you know that? The song came out in 1994. You were negative 20. There's just, there's something about some of those songs that are like hardwired into who we are. It's like you come out of the womb knowing Don't Stop Believing and some others. I don't, I don't actually have any explanation for that. It just exists. But there's something about music that like resonates with the deepest parts of who we are. It's why... Uh, we might struggle to like memorize scripture, but you can remember the words to like, you know, every song from when you were in high school in 1970. But it like hardwires itself into us. And often song expresses for us something that normal speech can't. Oh, if you've got Luke chapter one open there, look with me because what's going to happen here in the first part of Luke is that this turns into like a hymnal. Mary starts it, verses 46 down to 55. Mary sings. Zechariah sings, Luke 1, 67 down to 79. The angels sing, Luke 2, verse 14. When Jesus is presented at the temple, the priest there sings, Luke 2, 29 to 32. Jesus arrives, and it's like normal words won't do justice to the joy and the rejoicing that is taking place over the arrival of Jesus. And so people sing. It's like all they have left to do. And without going into detail, because we're going to get to each one of those passages here over the next few weeks, they're all singing a personal riff on the same song. And that song is all about the glory and the goodness of the Savior. The collective question this morning as we go through this, what song is your life singing? What song does the collective subconscious of our church sing? Sweet Caroline? Or Go Tell It on the Mountain? Don't stop believing, or his mercy is more. When someone walks into our church, they spend a little bit of time here, and they would get to know some people within our congregation. Is it pretty obvious to those people that we're all singing a personal riff on the same song, and that song is all about the glory of the Savior? What we're going to see this morning are three reactions to the coming of Jesus. One from John the Baptist, one from Elizabeth, one from Mary. And they're all reactions that are born out of a Holy Spirit-produced kind of joy. So what we're going to see is that John springs. He like leaps in Elizabeth's womb. Elizabeth shouts. She exclaims something about the Savior. And then Mary sings. So if you've got it open there, I'm going to start reading in Luke 1, 39. Just look for all of those 
reactions. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done mighty a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months. Then she returned to her home. Three reactions. John springs, Elizabeth shouts, Mary sings, and they're all about Jesus. When Jesus enters the room, that's what happens. So this morning, where I want us to land is here, that our lives are to sing with the joy of the reality of God's grace. That that should be just like the constant refrain of a Christian's life, is that all of you would just, your heart would just sing over the joy of the reality of God's grace. See how this kind of plays itself out. John springs. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zechariah's house, greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her womb. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us to recognize who Jesus is. Mary travels about 100 miles to get to Elizabeth from Galilee in the north to Judah in the south. When you think about Israel in the days of the Bible, it's kind of like a big like offset rectangle. Galilee is up in the north. That's where Jesus is going to be born. That's where, or that's where Jesus' parents live. That's where he's going to live his early part of his life. And that is where Jesus' early ministry is going to take place. Judah is in the south. Jerusalem is in that area. Mary makes this 100-mile trip two times. This is the first time. We don't know much about the journey. Simply that Mary goes in order to visit Elizabeth, who's her relative, a cousin, could be an aunt. People kind of debate that, but a, a member of her family. Because she's been told by Gabriel that Elizabeth is pregnant. And Gabriel told her that as a means of attesting to the fact that Mary would be pregnant. And so when Mary arrives, she walks into the room, and what ends up being present in the room is this incredible scene where the Old Testament and the New Testament literally overlap. Old covenant, new covenant. John, the last prophet, present in Elizabeth's womb. Jesus, the long-awaited Savior, present in Mary's womb. And the two are there together. 
John, the last in a long line of Old Testament, Old Covenant prophets. And those prophets spoke about and gave witness to two things that they wish they could have seen with their eyes. And John is going to get to because Jesus has arrived. And two different times, at least, at least two recorded times, John and Jesus are going to interact. One is right here. Another is at Jesus's baptism. And so John, last prophet, gets to see with his eyes that which Israel has been waiting for and which the prophets have been talking about for thousands of years. And so what happens? Jesus, the coming one, is present in the room and John leaps. He springs in Mary's, or in Elizabeth's womb. And, you know, it obviously had to have been something more than just a kick, Elizabeth is six months pregnant. She knows the feelings of the movements of her child. He leaps inside of her womb. He recognizes who has come into his presence. How does John know that Jesus has entered the room? Remember, Gabriel told Elizabeth that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. It's the Holy Spirit inside of John that like surges inside of him when Jesus steps into the room and causes John to leap inside Elizabeth's womb. Think about your own moment of recognizing Jesus for the first time. Maybe it happened at a camp experience. Maybe it was at a VBS as a child, maybe it was while you were a child and you were sitting in the living room with mom and dad and they were talking to you about who Jesus was. Maybe it was during a sermon sometime. Maybe it was a conversation with a friend over coffee or at a meal somewhere. And they were explaining to you the reality of Jesus and something happened inside of you. Maybe even to this day, you're not 100% uh, capable of like explaining what it was. But the Holy Spirit surged inside of you as you recognized the truth of who Jesus is. We don't do that on our own. We're giving ourselves far too much credit if we think those moments of recognition come about because of our superior intellect. Or that they come about because we're able to like dig deep inside of our own minds and inside of our own hearts and inside of scripture and just figure it out on our own. If that were the case, we would have done so a long time ago. Those moments of recognition happen because the Holy Spirit moves in such a way and then we react the only way we know how. Maybe you cried in that moment. Maybe you were overjoyed. Maybe you asked a bunch of questions. Maybe you sprung up from your seat in a church service somewhere and you went forward during the altar call. The reaction can look different, but the truth is the same. It's the Holy Spirit who leads us to recognize who Jesus is. That's why John leaps in Mary, or in Elizabeth's womb when Mary walks into the room. Recognition is only the first response that a Christian has to a person to the person of Jesus. That feeling, that recognition, is not what leads to salvation. There's more. Then we're told this, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the end of verse 41. 
Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, there was when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. So it's the Holy Spirit that leads us to recognize who Jesus is, but it's also the Holy Spirit who leads us to confess who Jesus is. Luke buries the lead a little bit here inside of what Elizabeth says, but did you catch it in the middle? How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth is the first person to confess the truth of who Jesus is. We usually typically attribute that to Peter, and this isn't to take anything away from Peter because in the middle of Jesus's confusing and sometimes controversial and conflict-ridden ministry, Peter is the first one to confess to Jesus in Luke chapter nine that he is the Christ, Jesus is the Christ. But whose mouth does Luke put these first expressions of faith in? It's the mother of my Lord. He puts it in the mouth of of Elizabeth, of a woman. He puts the first sort of picture of a Christian life into the life of a woman. Mary, we're gonna see that in just a moment. He puts this first recognition of the reality of Jesus into a baby in a womb, John the Baptist, who leaps when Jesus walks into the room. Elizabeth knows that the Lord has shown up Her Lord has shown up and her response is to shout his identity. Picture it. Elizabeth and Zechariah are going about whatever a normal day looks like. Zechariah, he hasn't spoken in six months. Elizabeth, here's a knock at the door. She opens up the door and Mary probably immediately looks at Elizabeth's stomach. That's the whole reason she's made the 100-mile journey. She walks into the room. John leaps inside Elizabeth's womb. The Holy Spirit surges inside of Elizabeth and she can't hardly contain herself. She shouts, exclaims with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and your child will be blessed. My Lord has entered the room. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit moves inside of a person, displaying for them the truth of their need for Christ and his sufficiency to save. We recognize who Jesus is and then we confess who Jesus is. Lord, it's the Holy Spirit that opens the eyes of our hearts and minds to the recognition of who Jesus is and it's the Holy Spirit that leads us to confess who Jesus is. And that combination leads us to faith. And that faith accepts the grace that saves us. It is a miraculous gift of God's overwhelming grace that any one of us would confess the truth of who Jesus Christ is. It's grace that saves us, but it's also grace that leads us to the grace that saves us. And all of it is so marvelous and so wondrous that joy is the overwhelming result. John leaps with joy 
at the recognition of who Jesus is. Verse 44, for you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. The Greek like, literally says something kind of convoluted, like the baby sprung while rejoicing greatly. Like Elizabeth couldn't really put words to what just happened inside of her. And then Elizabeth shouts with joy in this confession of who Jesus is. And they both do so thanks to the work of the Holy Spirit inside of them. Right? John, Gabriel told Elizabeth he would be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. Jesus walks in, he leaps. Jesus comes in inside Mary and we're told that the Holy Spirit falls upon Elizabeth and she shouts this confession of who Jesus is. But take kind of one last step with me here because the outworking of that grace and that joy and that movement of the Holy Spirit continues after we've recognized and after we've confessed who Christ is. Look at Mary. John and Elizabeth are the first recorded Christian responses to Jesus, but Mary is the first recorded picture of what a Christian life looks like. And so Mary sings. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord. Your translation might say, my soul magnifies the greatness of the Lord. My soul rejoices in the greatness of the Lord. This passage from Luke 146 down to 155 is often referred to as the Magnificant. That's because the first word in the sentence there is magnificat, magnify. Magnify the greatness of the Lord, O my soul. That's what Mary says. And it's like a sermon in five words there. My soul praises, magnifies the Lord. There's a lot that your soul could magnify. You just look around any suburban setting and you can see people magnifying any number of things as if that's what deserves all of our praise. You see parents trying to magnify their children. You see students trying to magnify their grades or their accomplishments. You see husbands trying to magnify their careers. Wives trying to magnify their careers. Married couples trying to magnify their marriage. Singles trying to magnify their future spouse. But Mary, who was told by Gabriel that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her, goes to see Elizabeth because Gabriel said that would be the confirmation of what it is that he promised to her in the coming of this child. And she walks in and she gets all the confirmation that she needs when the baby leaps and Elizabeth shouts and confesses. And now Mary can only do one thing. My soul magnifies the Lord. Nothing else. I love our Catholic brothers and sisters, but they would have you believe that this passage is a magnification of Mary. Mary sets that straight in the first couple words. This song is a magnification 
of Jesus. My soul praises, magnifies the greatness of the Lord. And it's almost like, how could you, how could you magnify something that's already so exceedingly great? Why would you need to hold up a magnifying glass to the infinite, eternal, everlasting, unimaginable greatness and glory of the Lord? Well, for the same reason, you might need to use a telescope to see Jupiter. Jupiter is huge, but there's so much space and so much darkness between us and Jupiter. You need something to help you see it. There's so much darkness and so much brokenness and so much sin that exists in our world that we need to hold up a magnifying glass so that people can see the greatness of the Lord. And that is what Mary does. She's seen it. And now she can't forget it. And her heart is so overwhelmed and overjoyed by the presence of Jesus that a song is what pours out of her. Because sometimes music expresses what normal words cannot. And so she sings about God's character. She sings about the greatness of the Lord. She sings about the mighty one, verse 49. She sings about the fact that he is holy, end of verse 49. She sings about the fact that he's a provider, satisfying the hungry with good things, that he's a defender, defending the lowly, that he's faithful to his promises, that he's merciful. She just sings about the character of God because God being God is worthy of our praise. And if he did nothing else besides just be who he is, he'd be worthy of our praise. His greatness would be worth magnifying all by himself. The superlatives of God's greatness, were he to do nothing else, would be worthy of all of our praise. In our own lives, the Holy Spirit helps us to recognize the greatness of God. And seeing God's greatness would be reason for us to give the entirety of our lives to magnifying him. Primarily, when we worship, We worship God for who he is. If you're a note taker, jot that down. Primarily, our worship, whether it be in song or in prayer, whether it be in scripture or in relationship and fellowship with one another, or whether it be just waking up and going about a normal Sunday, primarily our worship is in response to who God is. We magnify the greatness of, of the Lord. What's the purpose of my life? What's the purpose of your life? The purpose is to hold up a magnifying glass to the greatness of God that the world might see and hear about him. Hear about his greatness, his might, his holiness, his provision, his defending, his faithfulness, his mercifulness, his faithfulness, his love, his grace. That's the purpose in Mary from day one, understands. But the beauty of a God who is all of those things is that he's not idle. And that's one of the things that Luke wants us to see throughout the entirety of his gospel. He wants his readers to see that God is at work in the world, that a great God does great things according to his great character. You magnify the greatness of the Lord who's mighty and holy and sovereign and powerful and faithful and merciful and gracious and patient and kind 
and loving. You can't magnify just the qualities of that God without actually talking about how it is that they play out because he acts according to that character. That character compels him to do so. It's the very nature of who God is means that God acts. And when he acts, he acts in accordance with and in perfect harmony with every facet of his character. And so Mary sings not just about God's character. She also sings about what God has done, what he's done for her personally. He's looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me. Mary praises the amazing work that God has done in her life. And we should never separate our praise for God from his work in our lives personally. The song that our life sings ought to be a song, first and foremost, about the character of God, but also about the action of God in our lives personally. He looked with favor upon Mary. Those are the, literally the words that Gabriel said to her. Greetings, favored one. And then when Mary starts to praise God, where does she start? My soul praises the greatness of the Lord because he has looked with favor upon me. Our praise for the work of God in our lives could stop and end right there. If you've been saved, God's looked with favor upon you. What greater thing could there be to sing about? You know you. You know all the really ugly parts of you. All the parts that you try to downplay so you can lift up the good parts of you. All the parts that you try to hide so that other people don't know it. God looked on with favor upon you despite those things. In fact, he looked with favor upon you and wasn't afraid of those things. What more could you need for your soul to magnify the greatness of the Lord? Personally, the Lord has done great things for me, says Mary. But that's not all he's done. He's done more than just looked upon your life with favor. Think about all the blessings, all the goodness, all the places you've seen God's grace and his mercy. And what he's done in your life isn't all that he's ever done. Mary sings about what God has done universally, the mighty deeds he's done with his arm, that he scattered the proud, toppled the mighty, exalted the humble, satisfied the hungry, remembers his people. All of that he does in line with his character, and that's eternally true from the beginning of time, and it will be true until the end of time, and forevermore after that. And the point of all of that is this, that a life the Holy Spirit has moved in so that we recognize the truth of Jesus and we confess the truth of Jesus, that we would, with joy, we would kind of spring forward in our recognition and we would shout our confession of him. A life that the Holy Spirit has done that in is a life that ought to sing with joy about the greatness of God and his grace. The greatest thing that God has ever done, he has done in Jesus. What's the first Christian life look like? It looks like singing. A song of joy about the greatness of God. And so the application this morning is very simple. Our lives are to sing with the joy of the reality of God's grace. 
If you've been saved by his grace, your life sings one song about that grace. That's what a gospel-centered life does. When joy maybe feels dry, we remind ourselves of grace. When hope feels lacking, we remind ourselves of grace. When peace feels distant and like something that's not meant for us, we remind ourselves of God's grace. We listen for the Holy Spirit. We fight to settle our hearts and look to Jesus and allow the reminder of his grace to set our soul singing once again. As each of us does that as individuals, we become a church whose collective subconscious doesn't just know the right time to yell, but knows that we're supposed to sing something so much greater. We become a people who know the right time to sing, my soul magnifies the Lord. We become a people who know that the right time to sing that song is all the time. So maybe in your life, you're someone who prefers like the traditional side of worship and praise. And so the song of your heart sounds more like great is thy faithfulness. The song of your heart sounds more like amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Maybe the song in your heart sounds more like Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Or maybe you're more of a contemporary Christian music fan. Maybe you're more of a gospel music, so your song sounds more like Maverick City or sounds a little bit more like Kirk Franklin than it does Chris Tomlin. That's fine. You sing whatever song you want. Maybe it sounds more like We the Kingdom or more like Sovereign Grace or City of Light or whatever the case might be. Or maybe you've got your own special song that you sing that you would never sing to anybody else because you think your voice sounds terrible. Then you sing that thing away in the bathroom in the morning while you get ready. And then you let it reverberate all day long. Your soul magnifies the greatness of the Lord. The song we sing with our lives is one song about Jesus, about God and his greatness and the great things that he's done, about grace and about mercy and about God's power. And we sing it with joy because none of it's deserved. None of it was earned. None of it is because of us. That's it. That's the whole application. Just let your life sing. Christian, let your soul sing about the greatness of the Lord. Church, let our very existence as a body of believers sing about the greatness of the Lord. Let our collective subconscious be a song that magnifies the greatness of Jesus. Let it be a song of joy for the grace that God has shown us. Like Erica said at the opening of our service, joy is not about being completely happy and put together. Sometimes joy is a tear-stained, worn out, calling upon the Lord for a reminder of the goodness of his grace. Sometimes joy requires looking back to the cross when it feels like we'd rather look anywhere else. Sometimes joy requires looking to God and saying, I need joy from the Holy Spirit because it isn't coming from me right now. At Advent, we're reminding our hearts of the joy that is possible because of the gospel. 
the gospel that allowed Paul to rejoice with joy in prison, that allowed the, the apostles to rejoice after being beaten, that allowed the early martyrs to rejoice as they were killed. That gospel By looking at the birth of Christ, we remind ourselves that we anchor our hope in the reality of who God is. We anchor our peace in the fullness of who Jesus is, and we anchor our joy in the reality of God's grace to us. The birth of Jesus is the place where we see the demonstration of God's character. It's at the birth of Jesus where we begin to see the fullness of who Jesus is, and it's at the birth of Jesus where God paints a picture of his grace toward us. Hope, peace, Enjoy. Would they overflow in us this Advent season? And when they do so, as we look to Christ, would the Holy Spirit help us to recognize him, help us to confess him, and to live lives that sing to him, sing for him, and sing about him? And so we're going to end our service singing. You might think you're a terrible singer. I don't care. And neither does the person sitting next to you. They're six feet away anyway. The person in front of you, they're six feet away. They're hardly going to be able to hear what it is that you sing. Let your heart sing about the greatness of the Lord. Advent means coming. At Christmas, we celebrate the coming of joy because as the words of this first song that we're gonna sing say, in the darkness we were waiting without hope, without light till from heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from the throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of Kings. Let's let our souls magnify the greatness of the Lord together, yes? Let's sing.